The fifth parak of Pirkei begins with a list, and the list centers around ten, the number ten. Ten declarations, mamaros, the world was created. Ten generations from Adam till Noach that had degenerated, that had um, angered God and betrayed Hashem until HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed an entire planet and rebuilt it with Noach, and then another ten generations from Noach till Avraham Avinu. And then Avraham Avinu redeemed their wayward direction, their wayward behavior by, um, by, pro- by proselytizing and preaching about monotheism. Ten challenges HaKadosh Baruch Hu set before Avraham, the Asar Nisyonos, the ten Nisim in Mitzrayim, the ten Nisim on the Amsuf, the ten trials that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, was subjected to by Amisro in the desert, Asar Nisyonos, Nasru Vatsein Wasamakom, the ten types of Nisim during the first base of Mikdash era, ten things which were created, supernatural objects or items which were created as part of that first week of creation, but they can't be called natural because they're supernatural. And they were therefore said to be created by the Mishnah during Ben Hashmashos of Yom Shishi. Right before the week of creation concluded, these were created, these were established. And the Ramam has a well-known position as to why they were created Ben Hashmashos. I won't discuss that now. So picking up on this theme, the rest of the fifth parak, or a large portion of the fifth parak, then cites other lists, other lists organized by number. And of course, the very popular number in this parak, and in general, is the number four. So, there are many two-by-two matrices, we call it, two traits that could be analyzed in each of their own frameworks two different ways, so it's a two-by-two. And probably the first two by two, which leads to four midos, is the mission Yunalif. Arba Midos Videos. There are four different types of personalities. Now the two variables in this matrix, in this four variable equation, this four option situation, are anger and recovery. How quickly does someone become angry? And how quickly do they recover? Now, the obvious extremes of this, and the extremes are always obvious in these two-by-twos, someone who angers easily and recovers slowly, well, that person uh, that person at least possesses, without referring to him or without disclosing how the missionary refers, and that's obviously the worst trait. And the best trait is obviously someone who angers slowly, if at all, and when he's angry, he recovers quickly. So those are the obvious bookends of this four-option table, or four-option matrix. And the Mishnah calls this Noach Lichos Dekoshe Leratzel, someone who's very quick to anger, very slow to recover, to be appeased. The Mishnah calls him a Russia. Vice versa, someone who's very slow to be angry, Kasha Lichos Vinach Leratzel, he's referred to by the Mishnah as a Chassid. And of course, their positioning at the poles of this spectrum is obvious. What is interesting is, of course, the way the Mishnah refers to them, the terminology employed to describe these two polarities. A person who is constantly angry, both by entering it easily and by departing anger slowly, difficult with difficulty, he's referred to as a Russia, which is a very extreme articulation, a Russia. Um... 
Actually, this isn't the, the first list of four. There was a previous list of four in Mishnah Yud about Shali Shilcha, 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 Shali Shilach, Shilach, what is mine is mine, what is yours is yours. Are we, are we possessive? Are we greedy? Are we forbearing? Are we easygoing by um, delivering charity and generosity? So this is really the second Mishnah. But the term Rasha is an interesting terminology applied to someone who isn't really guilty of terribly criminal or cardinal sins. He's just someone who's angry. And vice versa, even more interesting, the person who is slow to anger and quick to recover when he does become angry is referred to as a chassid. Well, the Rambam, in his parish Mishnayis, noted these very graphic titles, or very graphic designations. And this is one of the sources which, to the Rambam, asserted that though all traits, all human personality traits, should be balanced, the very well-known position of the Rambam, the Mida Benonis, that a person should try to modulate and calibrate his personality traits so that it isn't extreme in either direction. So he's not happy all the time, he's not sad all the time, but there's a healthy balance between levity, or not levity, but at least mirth and and happy disposition and seriousness and even solemnity. There were two traits which the Rambam felt were so toxic and so overwhelming that a person should tilt towards an extreme. One of them was arrogance. A person should be as humble as possible as well as the trait of anger. A person should try to eliminate as much as possible both the trait of anger as well as its manifestations. And I'll describe the differences in a few moments. Um, to the Rambam, the term chosid, interestingly enough, symbolized or s- signified the, uh, the fact that anger is a unique trait, and a person shouldn't just be balanced, but should be imbalanced, so to speak, should try to eliminate it as much as possible, rather than modulating it. And the attempt to completely eliminate, to tilt towards an extreme, according to the Rambam, is a trait of Hasidus, which again, is not the ideal trait, with regard to most, or not the ideal attitude, with regard to most human traits. Ideally, a person shouldn't be a Hasid, as the Rambam describes, in Ochaz Des, of course, the word Hasid to the Rambam doesn't mean what it means in the modern jargon, but, Ideally, according to the Rambam, a person should be a Chacham. And a Chacham is wise enough to carefully balance and carefully modulate his personality traits. It's the Chassid who tilts towards an extreme or radical position. And generally, a Chassid is inferior to a Chacham. A Chacham is adif from a Chassid because he's able to reach the Mida Benonis, the Mida Emtsayis, the Shvil Hazav, the median path about most of his character traits. Sometimes there's a zealousness and a devotion that a chassid has that destabilizes that equilibrium, that does not allow, sometimes our passion and our zeal gets the better of our ration and our, uh, our balanced thought and can lead to personality irregularities. But at least with regard to the trait of kas, ideally a person should strive to be a chassid. So this is an exception. And the, and the term chassid as an accolade is exceptional because typically a chassid would not represent the most superior accomplishment or the greatest accomplishment in character calibration. So the term chassid and lesser but or less significantly but meaningfully the word rasha does um, signal that we're dealing with a unique trait, which makes the the context of the mission even more interesting. Because if indeed the trait should be 
completely, completely eliminated, completely neutralized. So the real chassid, the real chassid, should be someone who's never angry at all. Not someone who is slow to anger and quick to recover. Rather, the person who's never angry. Many, many statements in Chazal about the danger of anger. On the Gemara and Erevin, Hadam Nikar, person is can be best gauged by three phonetically related aspects of his experience. Koso, the way he drinks, the way he responds when he's inebriated, certainly for Chazal that was an important litmus. Bechiso, his generosity, his pocket, how he doles out staka, uvekaso, and how he responds when he's angry. That's also a Gemara that suggests that anger is is a major litmus of human behavior, but it's almost conceding the point. It's almost assuming that every person will be angry, and the way a person handles anger will reflect his true moral genius, his true moral level, which is in sync very much so with our Mishnah. Again, the, there are other statements in Chazal that would suggest complete elimination, as the Rambam talks about. Misha Ragil Bikas, the Gemara says in Psachim, Kuf Yud Gimel, someone who's always angry. Ein Chayav Chayim, his life is empty. Ve'enu Samech will never be happy. And as with most traits, and certainly with anger, there is no legal, punitive measure for anger. It's a lav she'en b'maisa. Because the trait itself is the greatest punishment. If a person's constantly angry, he doesn't need a punishment. His punishment is that he's constantly angry, he's never happy, he's never at peace, he's never in a state of tranquility. Whoever's angry should be regarded as someone who's an Oved Avodah because when we're angry, we clearly lose sense of the presence of Kuchibrichu. Not sure if it's idolatry in the literal sense, we're not really worshipping anything, although there is we are overcome by some foreign body, by some foreign men- mental space or mental state. But certainly, if we had that continuing and enduring presence of Kuchibrichu, front and center, we either wouldn't be angry or at least we'd contain our anger. So the outbursts and the rage are indicative of the ability, not, not really a, a great talent or not really something we should be proud of, but the ability of human beings to compartmentalize and to turn their face away from HaKadosh Baruch at least momentarily. Um, the Gemara Nedarim is much more ominous. Chav Be'ezim and Aleph, Kol HaKois, refers angry. Gehenom Shaltimbo. All the fires and furies of hell of Gehenom consume him. So these Gemaras, as the Rambam would voice, would counsel, suggest complete elimination of anger. Yet our Mishnah refers to someone who is slow to become angry and quick to recover as a chassid, rather than discussing someone who has completely eliminated anger. So some Rishonim respond to this um, phenomenon, to this ambiguity in the Mishnah. It's not really an ambiguity, it, it's, a, it's an oddity. Some respond to it by saying that there are moments in the human lifestyle, in the human lifespan, in which anger is necessary for righteous purposes. The example of Pinchas. The example of becoming angry on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And since anger sometimes has its place, the Mishnah did not choose to describe the complete elimination of anger. 
Um, this is something suggested by the Rebbeinu Yonah and others. We would probably distinguish between the word anger in English and the word indignation, probably claiming that anger is always toxic, real anger. There are moments in which anger has to be feigned or uh, acted out without a corresponding inner anger. Certainly, in, in certain cases where we feel that our moral authority isn't being sufficiently appreciated or understood, if we want to make a point and I don't want to use the word violent because the word violence in our in our situation carries very, very um, negative connotations. Violence should never be a factor of a hierarchical relationship. But say something with force to to say something in a manner that will that will uh, force individuals to rethink their premises rather than just quietly listen and and assimilate your message within their preconceived world of of values which in many cases just neutralizes the message. So anger sometimes has to be feigned. Um, but it should never be an outburst based on real rage. Sometimes it could be just um, active. It could be histrionic. It could be theatrical. Um, you know, that as uh, a parent, we have to be careful not to physically, physically discipline our children. There was a time perhaps when physical discipline was appropriate. In our context, it's just carries too many negative connotations when we become physical with other people. Um, but I know myself there were times that, very few times, probably one with each child, that I used physical measures to convey a point and it wasn't out of anger, it was out of concern. When my, Pretty much when my child did something very, very dangerous and I had to create an association of danger so that that would be something completely off limits. I remember one of my children was once sticking their body out of a window in a multi-storied building and there was no screen and no bars, and I had to create a physical association of pain so that they would always remember to keep distant from that window, and I saw that as an act of love and care. There was no anger involved. I didn't abuse physically. I just wanted to create a, uh, an associated response. I was a Pavlovian response, an associated feeling. Or when my child plays with matches or things of that sort, where just simply conveying verbal concern and verbal opposition may not have been sufficient. Remember Billy Graham, an American evangelist, once said that when he and his brothers and sisters, I think in the 30s in rural America, came back once drunk from some joint expedition, so his father took him out back and forced him to drink copious copious amounts of of liquor until they all became so nauseous that they threw up their liquor and they never wanted to return to that state of intoxication because they had such a negative, poisonous, foul association with drunkenness. But there are times in which it's not just feigning or projecting anger, but sometimes we have to actually feel anger as opposed to apathy, as opposed to indifference. So the fact that the Mishnah acknowledges a role for anger by referring to a chassid as not someone who is completely divorced or severed from anger, but someone who is able to recover quickly because anger has its place, and every trait has its place. That's an answer which some offer to solve the, the Mishnah. I'm not sure that, that that's the impulse of the Mishnah. The Mishnah could have very easily spoke about a chassid who has completely eliminated, has completely emptied anger from his arsenal, from his emotional repertoire. And we would have adjusted, we would have adapted and known, well, of course, the Mishnah is referring to people that are angry on a purely personal, petty level. But when it's anger on behalf of religion and God, when it's uh, zeal, 
properly contexted, then that would be something favorable. So I think we could have made that adjustment without the Mishnah offering it to us. I'm not sure if this is what the Mishnah is referring to when it describes a chassid as someone who is not divorced from anger but slow to anger. I think the Mishnah is just realistic. I think the Mishnah not, is not fatalistic but is realistic that everyone will become angry. This is certainly an opinion voiced by others, not Rebbein Yonah, but by the Tassus Yamtif, and then others, and I think, to me at least, it represents the dominant position of the Mishnah. It's a Mishnah that understands human nature. The greatest of people, Moshe Rabbeinu, falls prey to anger. Twice. In a short span of a few parshiyos, in the end of Sefer Bamidbar. Once, of course, at the rock, where at least according to the Ramban, Alatara, his chait is one of anger, rage, According to um, others, it's a different chayv, but the Ramban places the issue squarely as one of anger. Um, certainly the Rambam sees it that way. I think the Ramban discusses the, the way of speaking to Am Yisrael, the derogatory remarks. The Rambam in his parish of Mishnahis does mention anger. And then, of course, when they return from warring with Midian and Parshas Pinchas, Moshe is angry at the Pekur de Achayel, and Chazal said because of that anger he forgot some of his Torah, and the uh, necessary halachos had to be instructed by Elazar HaKohen, who had succeeded his father, had replaced his father Aaron HaKohen. So this mission is merely referring to a reality that people become angry, the greatest of people, and given that truth, everyone has to focus not just on the pace at which they become angry, but also how quickly they recover from anger. Because everyone will find themselves in that moment of anger. So I discussed the polarities of this Mishnah. Quick to become angry, slow to become appeased. Slow to become angry, quick to reconcile. These are the two polarities, obviously. They stand at the two bookends of this emotional spectrum, or at least this, this trait, the spectrum of this personality trait. What is fascinating is the dynamic between, or the interplay between the two stages in the mid-range of the spectrum. More specifically, which is better? Someone who's quick to anger and quick to recover? Someone who's, would say, impetuous, emotionally, uh, uh, rapid mood swings, he's always angry, but his anger passes quickly? Or someone who is rarely angry, but when they do become angry, they're very, very diff- very slow, very, very uh, deliberate in recovering. What is preferable? Kosha lichos v'kosha l'ratzos. Someone generally doesn't become furious, but when they do, they feel it very deeply. It's difficult to get them out of that point of anger. Or someone who's very, very easygoing... His emotions are easily, easily triggered. Comes angry quickly, but just as quickly can recover and move on. So interestingly enough, there is a bit of a difference between males and females, and I'll discuss this in a few moments. Fascinatingly. Not fascinating because we know about human nature, but it's fascinating. And Chazal noticed it and attributed it to something uh, interesting. But there are two girsos in this Mishnah. Who is preferable? And not only are the two girsos, but the language is also fascinating. The language of the Mishnah is, 
at least I'm reading from the Mishnah in the standard Vilna Shas, but can easily, the gears that can easily be inverted. Noach lichos v'noach leratzos, someone who is quick to anger and quick to be appeased, at least according to argue, so he's less. Yatsa schar behefsedo. Whatever schar he achieves because he easily reconciled, that schar is neutralized by the overwhelming, overwhelming loss, the overwhelming uh, uh, flaw of being quick to anger. Whereas, kasha lichos v'kasha l'ratza, someone who is slow to anger, but just as slow to become appeased, he is seen as superior than the one who is quick to anger and quick to appeasement. Yatsev say there there is a hefseh, there is a flaw, but the overwhelming virtue of being slow to anger dwarfs that hefseh. So the schar overcomes the hefseh. So the Mishnah speaks in terms of um, apportioning, evaluating the schar, the virtue versus the flaw. I think that each girsa could be ratified depending on what we're probing. I think most would claim that if we are assessing moral value, which is morally superior, which is morally inferior, we would probably claim that the easygoing person um, probably, who's easy to anger but easy to recover, we probably see him as morally less innocuous, morally more favorably than someone who is slow to anger but slow to recover. It's almost as if the person who's quick to anger and quick to recover, his emotions are uh, are very, very liquid. He, his mood swings. Things affect him quickly. But he doesn't really, uh, he doesn't pout. He doesn't let things fester. It's very, it seems to me there's no moral violation. He's just someone that has anger and has rage, but the rage doesn't really register. It's almost as if the rapidity by which the rage departs indicates it hasn't really sunk in. And it's just someone who's a hothead. We'd call him a hothead. It's a quick fuse. We use those terms to describe people who are always angry, but uh, they don't really preserve their anger. They don't really let their anger fester and pollute their or contaminate their relationships. They're hotheads, as we would say. And I think that most of us would view those people as more favorable than those who, um, who keep grudges and keep accounts and never f- apologize or, in this case, never grant, uh, uh, you know, grant people's requests for apologies or never forgive. I think if we were assessing the morality, we would probably assume that the kal lichos v'kal liratzos would be morally superior, or in Lashon of the Mishnah, Noach Lichos v'Noach Leratzos would be superior to the Kasha Lichos v'Kasha Leratzos, in which case we would not accept the Girsa written in the Vilna Shas. Perhaps the Girs, the Girs in the Vilna Shas, and this may be in, implicit in the Rebbeinu Ovadja Mibartanura's statements, perhaps that alternate Girsa is not describing moral fitness, but rather practically, whose lifestyle is more stable, whose lifestyle is more successful. The person who's constantly angry in, in a situation of mood swings, anger, and then appeasement, and then anger, and then appeasement, there's, a desta- there's an instability to his behavior. There's almost a, he's hysterical. 
is constantly prone to uh, oscillations and vacillations of anger, of tranquility, of serenity, of rage. It's very difficult to lead life that way. Whereas the kasha lichos, the kasha l'ratzos, is a description of someone that thinks carefully, that feels deeply, that is in control of his emotions, for better or for worse, and that control is exerted to prevent anger, and that same sense of control may prevent him from the ideal, the ideal setup of quick recovery, but that's a thinking person, a person who takes things seriously, a person who feels deeply and is unable to recover, perhaps because they're hurt so deeply. So, morally, that may be less, but practically, that may be a more successful uh, uh, more successful program for human experience and for achievement. So, these two girsos may reflect two different gauges, two different barometers. Are we gauging the moral caliber, or are we gauging the chances for success and the degrees for success? There's really a fascinating medrash. I don't know if it's quoted the actual midrashim that we have available. I saw it cited in the Sefer Minaras Hamar, wonderful, wonderful Svartic uh, Sefer. It's really all-encompassing about halacha, about uh, machshava, in the section of Nisui Isha, of marriage, he cites several midrashim, several tanoim, who address the difference between male and female. We live in an age of emancipation, of women's rights, of suffrage, of, and I think most of us see these developments, uh, feminism, as um, enhancing the human experience, and by extension, enhancing our vodas Hashem. And I think the danger is when we, when we employ halacha for the sake of feminism. Maybe feminism is something we should support in the education of women and the enfranchisement of women, but halacha is halacha and tara is tara, and we should never confuse the two, or halacha v'achas, exploit religion for the sake of any other goal. Those goals may be advanced on their own, on their own energy, and those the advancement of those goals may, in many ways, enrich the religious experience. But, despite the, the welcome developments of feminism in the past uh, century and a half, despite that, we still recognize basic differences between male and female. Psychologically, physically, experientially, sexually. And, and those are differences that Kodesh Baruch Hu programmed into creation, and we dare not trample those differences, even while we try to, as we would say, even out the score and even out the experience. Obviously, different communities take different strategies and establish different different modes towards balancing between the important value of feminism and the perhaps more important value of maintaining healthy differences. But the Tanaim were aware of these differences. And in this case, the Tamidim asked Rabbi Yoshua a range of questions, which was all answered by Rabbi Yoshua by the way, or the differences in the way man and woman, men and women were created. Man, man was created from earth. A woman was created from a limb of a man, man was created facing down to the earth, and woman was created facing up. And interestingly enough, I found this fascinating, because when I first saw this message, I was prepared to hear a list of differences which favored males and disparaged or uh, discriminated against women, because that's the world which Chazal lived. I don't think Chazal were misogynist, but the social reality just 
and women as undereducated members of society. So they just voiced their agadic position, not chalila v'chast and halachic positions, but their perspectives on human experience were filtered through their socio-marital reality. But I found this matters to be refreshingly objective and just describing differences. And in many ways, some of these differences do favor females. So, for example, um, uh, it talks about why males are born with their face towards the ground and females are born with their face towards heaven. He probably was referring to something physical, which doesn't reflect our reality of childbirth, but maybe there's something existential and metaphoric. And he talks about that man was created face down. He was created from the earth. So he's always looking at the source or the origin of his genesis. And the woman was created face up, so she's always facing heaven, which would be an interesting metaphor about man facing the earth and woman facing heaven. Um, the questions continued. Why does a woman wear perfume? And men don't wear perfume. And again, I, I would have expected this to be attributed to vanity, to concern, or maybe to excessive concern. Women are more concerned with their physical appearance. No, it's just a very, very raw, almost mathematical, empirical difference. Because man was created from earth, and earth doesn't rot, doesn't uh, emit any odor, doesn't spoil. And females were created from a living organism, were created from a part of the human body. And that can very, very easily become foul. Now, that, that's not a negative or discriminatory statement about women and body odor. This would mean that they're the source or their, their connection to life force, to living organism, is much more innate and natural, primordial, than males are. Because males were created from earth. Females were created from living flesh, living tissue. Well, living tissue is more delicate. It's, it's more life. It's more vital. But anything that's vital can also decompose more quickly. And obviously this is true physiologically in terms of the cycles of a woman's physiology, which males aren't exposed to. And those cycles, which can produce some um, very, very disfavorable situations, is is the flip side of the fact that a woman is a life provider. A woman is undergoing the cycles of, of life and life provision. So this is an interesting matter. And the reason I'm quoting it is because the final question they asked Rabbi Yoshua, why do males easily recover from their anger and females don't? I've never been a female, so I can't really compare. I'm a parent of males and females. To me, it seems, at least, and maybe my family is different, that this is also very true, that the female children that I've raised have a tendency to... Again, pout would maybe be a negative connotation, but it's more difficult for them to recover from hurt feelings and hurt emotions, whereas males are more easygoing about the issue. I sometimes joke with my wife that, you know, when my boys are upset, just give them some potato chips and some cake and some soda, and they'll be happy in a few moments. Put on a sport event or something like that. So again, you may have thought that, well, women are the weaker sex, and they're they're, uh, more uh, vulnerable to... uh, pouting fits, and is that what Rabbi Yeshua said? Rabbi Yeshua answered that males come from the ground. And if you take dust and put it into a liquid solution, the dust will dissolve. Ground will dissolve in water. So males have an easier time dissolving their emotions, mitigating those hurt feelings. Whereas Chava, Rabbi Yeshua answered his Talmudim, 
was created again from human tissue, in this case a human bone at Sela. And bones don't dissolve so easily in water. Well, the flip side, again, if you take this at face value, well, males have an easier time dissolving their anger and females don't, but that's because males come from earth and women come from bones, and at least if the metaphor holds true, then that boniness that women possess is just a different way of saying solidity. Bones are more solid, more I don't want to use the word grounded because that would mix the metaphor, but there's a solidity, there's a strength, there's a durability. The negative side of that durability is that the emotions are more enduring and they're harder to reorient or retract. But this isn't a misogynist or chauvinistic statement. This may just be an empirical statement that male's ability to uh, shift very quickly in and out of anger in the limited narrow context is obviously a virtue, is obviously a positive trait because they don't pelt, but may just reflect lack of emotional uh, sturdiness. Whereas women have more emotional sturdiness, as, as we know, I think, by and large, we feel that Again, on average, women have greater emotional intelligence. Again, it can differ from person to person, from place to place, but certainly in, they mature into emotional intelligence and emotional awareness more quickly. And that gives them a, a durable emotional role. And the flip side, because everything has a flip side, is that the emotions are felt so deeply and they're cared about so seriously that when those emotions are hurt, it's harder for those emotions to be repaired. So it's a very, very interesting adaptation of this Mishnah. The Mishnah is a, was said in a you know, generic or, or gender, gender generic fashion, right? unisex. So there's no discrimination between males and females. But at least Yeshua applied this Mishnah, or at least the Noach Leratzel is part of the Mishnah, and so this is a difference between males and females.